Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. Um, I am Kerwin, and this is my buddy. Kushro? Kushro always misses his cue, Michael. <laughs> and, and today, we have a very special guest. Um, he is Michael Collins, and uh, he works at travelmedia.ie, uh, which is based in Dublin. And uh, Michael has been traveling around... Um, during the pandemic and i thought it would be great to uh have him on the show so first michael can you just uh give a a quick introduction because it's much easier if michael does his introduction than i do go ahead michael okay cool well kushro kerwin thank you for having me delighted to be here um so where do i start um yes i've been traveling but we'll get to that in a minute um my day job is that I run a PR agency and a trade representation agency. So we're a specialist travel company. We've been going for 20 years, um, which is a long time now. And we have reinvented ourselves many, many times over those years. And right now we are reinventing ourselves again. So I started out as a travel publisher, travel editor. Um, so editing and publishing travel magazines, both our own titles and then contract publishing for others. And in 06, as in 2006, I set up a PR company. Um, and by 09, we could see that print was kind of in a bit of a nosedive and there wasn't necessarily space for us in the print travel world. Um, we could see that some titles would survive, but very few. So we were lucky in that we'd got out of print by 09 and we had started the PR in 06. Um, and then about eight years ago, uh, pivoted the PR to be much more digitally focused. So as a PR company, we are very uh, digitally minded. Um, and then at the same time, maybe say four or five years ago, we've been doing a lot of trade work. So effectively we have different people in the office who have different jobs. Some have a trade background as in they worked, you know, with tour operators, travel agents for years, and that's all that they do and that's their focus. And then there are others in the office, people like Neve, who you know well, Kerwin, who focus, you know, exclusively on the digital side. Um, so we have, you know, SEO people, we have YouTube people, we have video editors, uh, video production, we have blog writers, content writers, um, etc. So we're based in Dublin, um, but our business is kind of global now. So we obviously have still a lot of Irish clients, UK clients, but also clients all over the world. So for some clients. Where we're based is relevant, for others it's not relevant. Um, what's more relevant is the skill sets and the experience that we have. So, when you say trade, what, what exactly do you mean by that? By trade representation? Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a niche within the industry that I suppose anybody outside the industry, even that in that area would not know. Um, so basically what it means is that we work with the trade as in travel agents and tour operators and we would work with them on behalf of clients. So for example, we would work with Bradley Airport, Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and we would do a lot of training and workshops on their behalf with travel agents and tour operators in Ireland, the UK, Germany, Italy, and so on. So basically briefing them and educating them and training them in terms of who Bradley are as an airport, where, where do they fly, what services do they offer, et cetera, et cetera. And we would do that on behalf of other other clients as well. So, for example, um, Barbados Tourism, uh, BTMI, the marketing association or organization for Barbados, we would, you know, spend a lot of time or 
we used to um, pre-COVID, <laughs> spend a lot of time, you know, in with travel agents yeah. um, and training them. Because um, if you're a travel agent, you can't just start selling a destination or a product without some training. Um, because as you know, Kerwin, uh, well, Kershaw, as you know as well, you know, the travel industry is based on a lot of legacy systems and can be very complicated. It's not something as easy as the internet makes it seem. So travel agents need training and that's what trade representation is. Okay. Cool. So you just did um, one of those trips to Barbados, right? Yes, okay. um, got back, what, a week and a half ago. Yeah, so, so tell us a little about that. I mean, you know, from like a, an aviation perspective, you know, how is travel? And, um, and was that the inaugural flight of, of British Airways into Barbados? Yeah, good question, Kerwin. It was. Okay. <laughs> um, so British Airways obviously is a big carrier into Barbados. The UK market is one of the most important markets um, for Barbados. Obviously, you know, huge historical links and obviously mm -hmm. a very popular destination with the UK market. So traditionally for the last, I think it is 13 years, um, British Airways has flown out of Gatwick. So this is the first time in 13 years that BA now is flying out of Heathrow. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. But um, from an Irish perspective, for example, connecting via Heathrow onto a Barbados service, Bridgetown, is much easier via Heathrow. Um, so it, it opens up the market. Um, so the trip I was on, I had uh, media from Northern Ireland flying from Belfast, I had media flying from Cork in the south of Ireland, and also media flying from Dublin. And all of us were able to seamlessly fly from those different cities around Ireland into Heathrow and then connect onwards. Okay. Whereas Gatwick doesn't have that same connectivity. It has good connectivity, but not the same. Yeah. So it, it, it opens up Heathrow or opens up the UK and London as more of a hub um for uh you know people connecting and then flying on into um to barbados so that was a big deal um you probably saw some of the stuff i put up on social you know british airways yeah. made a big deal out of it barbados when we landed there was you know entertainment music dancers you know uh band a big fanfare big welcome um and the flight itself also was a lot of fun so you know that was a, a a fun experience, but obviously important strategically for British Airways, for Heathrow, and of course for Barbados. Um, but as you're an aviation person, um, Kerwin, it was a yeah. brand new 777-200 we were flying on. So uh. it was a beautiful machine, um, you know, really nice. Um, you know, primarily uh, front of the cabin. So I think it was six seats in first, 30-odd in business yeah. and premium economy and then economy. So four-class uh, configuration, um, a lot of premium seats, and a beautiful new aircraft really was. So, um, you know, a good, a good experience. So just under nine hours flying time from Heathrow into Barbados. So you leave about two o'clock in the afternoon and you get in about half six in the evening. Yeah. So are they doing uh, daily flights into Barbados now or is it like a few times a week? Yeah, it's a, the schedule is a daily service. There's a bit of strategic, um, you know, uh, operational work going on at the moment because obviously capacity and COVID um, and obviously the UK uh, yeah. has announced a complete travel ban in the last uh, few days. So there's a bit of strategic, you know, uh, maneuvering going on at the moment, but the schedule is a daily service. Now, Gatwick is still operating at the moment, but that is due to uh, finish up in April and it'll be the focus there will be Heathrow after that. Oh, so they're still Virgin having a... also operate no. to Barbados 
on sorry doesn't virgin operate to barbados from um, yeah Gatwick? uk as well yeah. yeah so virgin has traditionally operated in manchester and Heathrow. um so i mean what's happened during COVID is that you know the barbados government probably like governments all over the world have focused about bringing connectivity back um so yes virgin operate uh, as do um british airways yeah and so, what sort of sorry Gavin, go ahead you, you go, Kisha. What sort of preparations did you have to make medically, for instance, to get on this flight? Did Barbados impose any sort of uh, uh, mandatory testing or any other restrictions on your arrival into the country? Yes, they did. Um, and Barbados have been pretty good from day one in terms of being... Uh, very well organized and having pretty good protocols. And the reason being is that they have a very good track record in terms of the um, safety and COVID numbers on the island. So I think at, at present, if my uh, the numbers are correct, I haven't seen them in a few days, but I think they've had a total of only seven deaths on the island and something approximately around the 200 cases at the moment. So very low numbers. Um, now, as you know, Kerwin, you know, the island is relatively speaking small, a population mm -hmm. of just over 200,000. So, you know, um, even comparatively to, you know, the UK and elsewhere, their numbers are very, very low. Um, right. One reason for that is that they shut down their borders very quickly when COVID broke um, and that uh, saved them, uh, you know, a lot of imported cases. But in terms of the protocols, the protocols have been around for quite a while and they're, they're pretty simple. You do two tests. So you do one test, a full PCR test, three days before you fly. And you need to pr uh, present those test results as in a negative result at the airport before you can check in. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is you upload those results to your immigration um, documentation when you're um, uh, applying online as well. And then you do a second test on day five. So that is two days after you arrive on the island. So if the first two days that you're there, you have to restrict your movement to the hotel or facility that you're staying at. Um, different hotels have different you know, guidelines depending on their size. So obviously a bigger property um, uh, will facilitate you know, more movement and a smaller property will mean you're a little bit more restricted. Mm. But you know, all things considered, when you're leaving this part of Europe where I am uh, at the moment, um, you know, we're into winter, it's cold, it's wet. Um, flying into Barbados and just hanging out in your balcony um, or in your veranda isn't so bad for two days. But once you've done the second test, you're you're free to go. No, oh, okay. What so if you don't stay for four, five days? Yeah. As in, if like, let's say start. you're going for four days for a long weekend, you still. It's you still have to, yeah, you still have the rules of the rules. You still have to restrict your movement. So most okay. people are, you know, I mean, Barbados, I suppose, isn't a weekend destination. It's more of a, a you know, a full holiday destination. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, and obviously with these, with these rules, what Barbados are seeing is that there are more and more people who are planning longer trips. So it's becoming a much more of a longer stay destination. Yeah. So there are definitely people leaving the UK and Ireland and elsewhere and saying, you know, I'm going to spend a few months in Barbados um, yeah. rather than just okay. a week or two, um, because obviously, you know, it's a long flight um, yeah. and there are those protocols to follow. But I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of people follow those protocols now elsewhere. I think, you know, that that double testing is coming in in lots of different places. So I think Barbados are probably the first one of the first to do it. 
Yeah, okay. I saw something. And the um, test five days after. Sorry, Kevin. Go, no, no, go ahead, Krisha. Michael, this is how we do it all the time. So <laughs> it's okay. Go okay. ahead, <laughs> The test after arrival into Barbados, is that at your expense and at a location you have to set up or is that just uh, provided for you? When are you thinking of traveling, Krishna? You're asking the right questions, like you're planning on traveling. <laughs> no, I just, it's how I would love works. to travel, honestly. <laughs> I miss um, flying you, a lot. You have two choices. So when you land, um, you can either get the test, the second test done at the hotel you're staying at, and you pay okay. for that privately, or there are government facilities where you can get tested um, and the government will pay for that. So depending on your budget wow. or your... Okay. your requirements in terms of you know do you want to leave the hotel and just stay there then you can organize a doctor the hotel will organize a doctor to come and visit you and do the test or if you want you can go to one of the facilities okay, okay that's so, because i know barbados has been advertising um a lot in trade publications about being a destination where you can work from home yes. i think especially catering to um maybe the north american uh, tourist set yeah. or tourist or even the working uh, population. So. Yeah, they've, they have a product which they launched uh, during the summer called the Welcome Stamp. Um, and it, it's That's exactly it. that. Yeah. Yes. And it's, um, I yeah. mean, thousands have applied. Um, so it's been very successful to them. And basically what they've said is, you know, well, if you live in Northern Europe where the weather's not great and you're heading into winter, why not come and work from, from Barbados for, you know, six months mm -hmm. a year? So the welcome stamp is valid for a year, but you don't necessarily have to stay for a full year. Some people are choosing to stay for three or six or 12 months, but the welcome stamp visa allows people to, you know, live and work freely from Barbados without any restrictions and continue, you know, with their, I suppose, their legal and financial setup from home in terms of, you know, if you're fiscally uh, set up in Ireland or the UK, you, you retain that status, um, but you just get to work from Barbados. Um, and actually on the flight that I took from, um, from Heathrow out to Barbados, I was sitting beside an Irish couple um, who are on their way um, to start their welcome stamp. And they just decided to, you know, get out for the winter. They were both, you know, I suppose, relatively speaking, young and, you know, tech savvy and their work permitted that they could, you know, um, become nomads and work from anywhere. So there's a lot of people doing that. Okay. And on board, uh, does BA still serve hot meals or do they give you boxed uh, refreshments? and things like that. For a nine-hour flight, I mean, that's a lot to ask. Yeah, it was boxed food when I flew out and boxed on the way back, but it was fine. Now, it wasn't okay. the same kind of level that you are used to, you know, with BA. That said, I flew back, what, Saturday 17th, Saturday 24th, 25th, approximately was the date, end of October, so 10 mm -hmm. days ago. And mm -hmm. I did ask one of the crew and he said, yeah, look, you, this is one of the last services, if not the last service where it will be the boxed year, you know, from tomorrow on, we're back oh, to the normal, okay. you know, full hot meal service. So, okay. yeah, that's great to see. And full PPE on the crew or not really? Sorry, say again, some, the crew? Full uh, the PPE, were they ah. dressed, were masks mandatory or... Yeah, masks were mandatory, um, but not full PPE. So okay. you know, a, a medical grade standard mask, like we're all used to wearing at this stage, mm -hmm. but nothing, nothing beyond that. 
Okay. Um, now, obviously, that the aircraft had been fully cleaned and disinfected before we all got on board, but you know, I'm pretty used to wearing a mask all the time, so I didn't feel it was uncomfortable or intrusive mm -hmm. to have a yeah. mask on for an eight-hour flight. Okay. Did, did they do any kind of um, what were the what were the checks like at Heathrow? Were they temperature checks or um, or just no temperature checks at Heathrow? Um, but temperature checks when you land. So there's a bit of form filling when you land into Barbados, into Bridgetown. There are temperature checks. Um, and every restaurant, hotel, indoor facility we went to when we were in Barbados, you do have a temperature check. Um, and one mm. of the other protocols uh, is that you have your temperature checked every day, twice a day. Now, you can do it yourself or get the hotel reception to do it for you. Oh. But, you know, they don't let you arrive and then just kind of go off and do your own thing you arrive and they keep an eye on you and they kind of monitor you so you get a form that you complete on a daily basis and you know if you feel unwell you have a phone number you can ring or if you notice your temperature isn't what it should be you can ring that number but you know there's a full record kept of your i suppose your uh health uh, or COVID health let's say um for that first you know 10 days that you're on the island okay. Well, you mentioned monitoring you. How did they do that? Do you have to download an app or anything like that or no? No, no. So what I mean by monitoring is that you actually, you have your temperature taken twice a day. Um, so it's not just, you know, you disappear onto the island. Um, it's, you know, they, they stay in touch, let's say. Um, and, you know, you provided contact details and your, your um, temperature is taken twice a day. So it's, okay. this was a little bit of ongoing monitoring, which makes sense. How did, they, how, how did they meal, do meals and stuff, Michael? Like, how is dinner done and breakfast? So it depends on the hotel, but the hotel we were in was a wonderful hotel called Cobbler's Cove, mm -hmm. um, which is on the West Coast, Upper okay. West Coast. And in fact, the World Travel Awards that came out, what, two days ago? Uh -huh. um, Cobbler's Cove won Best Hotel in Barbados. Um, so beautiful hotel, but a relatively speaking small boutique hotel. So I think they've got 44 rooms, 42, 44. Yeah. Um, so they had in their kind of dining area, um, they had a separate section, which is, you know, completely separate to the main dining area. Um, and that was designated the area where those who are waiting results um, could eat. Mm. So, you know, you weren't completely locked into your room. You were, you know, I mean, in my case, I had a nice veranda where I could sit outside. Um, but I also, we all, you know, the gang I was traveling with, we were all able to meet up for lunch, breakfast, lunch and dinner okay. and have a nice meal. And, you know, we were separate to the other guests. Um, so we were protected, they were protected. Um, you know, and we still very much had a, you know, a Barbados five class, you know, five star, you know, experience. Is it part indoors or outdoors the meal? or some combination of the two, the, the dining area? Where we ate, actually all for this hotel, everything is outdoors. I mean, the temperature okay. is, you know, it's basically 30 degrees all year round. Um, so <laughs> you really don't, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to be eating indoors. It's much nicer outdoors. So it's, it's one of the advantages Barbados has is that, you know, as we all know from all the medicine we've been reading about, you know, er, anything outdoors is much safer than anything indoors and yeah. obviously Everything you do by Barbados is outdoors, basically. That's good. Okay. So, so how about the airport procedures when you're leaving Barbados? What do they do? Um, when you're leaving, it's the same. When you enter the terminal, you have your temperature checked again. Um, and 
uh, that's it actually. Um, okay. You know, I mean, at, at that stage, you know, when you're leaving, be it a week or two weeks or two months later, you know, you've done two tests. So, you know, they know that you're COVID free. The island yeah. effectively is almost COVID free. Um, you know, and if you haven't shown any symptoms and any temperature issues, you know, um, you're considered to be completely COVID free and therefore, you know, uh, it's just a temperature check as you go into the, the terminal building. Okay. Yeah. And so... In the hotels, the, your... Go ahead. No, no, no. There's a lag, Michael. So that's why I got... No, go finish ahead. your... Finish your thought. Oh, no, I was thinking... So when, no, you finish get, your. when you get back to Heathrow, do they... Um, what Do they test you again in Heathrow? I don't know what the protocols are for Heathrow these days. So when we landed into Heathrow, I was connecting onto a Dublin flight. Um so I had to fill in a, COVID, a UK COVID, um, uh, let's say, contact tracing form um, mm -hmm. so that at least the health authorities there had my details should um, somebody on either of those two flights, the Dublin flight or the Barbados flight, have tested positive, they would be able to contact me. Um, so, you know, the usual, I'm wearing my mask the whole time in Heathrow, I'm washing my hands or gelling my hands, uh, you know, at regular intervals. Um, I'm going through passport control, immigration and so on and connecting. Um, but the immigration form I had to fill out for the UK and then there's an Irish COVID uh, contact tracing form as, as well. So to get back to Dublin, I did have to fill in two forms. So it takes a little bit longer because as you go through the different parts of Heathrow, you, instead of just, you know, showing your boarding pass and, and your passport, you now have, you know, a form to, to, to show or to complete as well. So um, there's definitely a requirement to have a little bit more time going through airports these days, yeah. you know, um, and actually, I mean, I've, I'll tell you about this morning's flying experience in a minute, you know, it's, mm -hmm. I was talking to a colleague earlier and it's getting more complicated flying you know in Europe right now and in fact Leslie who you know yeah um I I think he's in Dublin airport but I don't know <laughs> because you know he he was due to fly tomorrow but the flight he was on was cancelled because he was going to be the UK um and he literally just got notifications so I think he's trying to get to where I am the Canary Islands uh, via a different route but I don't know so it's it's getting much more complicated these days. There's a lot yeah. more restrictions. Yeah. I believe that um, there have been a, there's been an exodus out of the UK before the lockdown begins on Thursday tomorrow. So, uh, were these flights full that you were taking? Were they anywhere close to being full? And the reason I'm asking is that um, a lot of European airlines started out hoping. Um, and planning for the third quarter, which is, you know, the July, August, September uh, months, to be relatively busy. And they had these atrocious loads on the flight, so they've had to really cut back on their frequencies and schedules for the fourth quarter. And I was just wondering if uh, any of your flights were empty or partially full or full. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a good question. I know that, I mean, it makes sense that people are, that some people are deciding to get out of the UK because it's a full month lockdown. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's probably one of the most restrictive lockdowns I've seen in terms of, you know, Ireland went back into lockdown about two weeks ago. So we were a bit ahead of where the UK is, mm -hmm. but we're still allowed travel. 
So because I'm traveling for work, I'm permitted to do it. The only okay. restriction I have when I return, I have to fill in the online form and I have to restrict my movement. Whereas the UK, what was announced at the weekend, um, threw everybody into a bit of a tizzy because uh, you're not allowed travel. So you cannot leave the country or you cannot go and take a short break or visit family elsewhere unless you have a very specific you know, reason. I see. Um, and you need to prove that you know, you're traveling for work for a very good reason. So definitely some people probably did escape. I know the Barbados flights over the last two, three days at London were all full. Um, wow. The flight that I took, so if I work backwards, I've just landed here in Gran Canaria in Las Palmas Airport from um, Malaga in Spain. So it's about a two hour, 20 minute flight. And mm-hmm. uh, that flight was probably 70% full. Um, so, wow. you know, and I put up a post actually on Facebook a few minutes ago, you know, um, showing that, you know, the queues to board and the flight, you know, pretty busy. Um, like it was an A320. Um, so, you know, a big enough aircraft. So, you know, well over 100 people on it. Mm. Um, don't know why they were all traveling, but definitely a, a mix of people. There were families, there were definitely business people. There were, you know, pr- predominantly probably 90% Spanish from what I could tell. Mm-hmm. Because effectively, you know, that's an internal flight. Um, but when I got to the airport in Malaga this morning, I had to, um, they had, um, I think, airport police there. And they asked every passenger why they were traveling. Oh. So Malaga is in the Andalusia region of Spain, um, so which is the south coast, which covers, you know, from Seville down to Malaga to, um, you know, that, that broad region. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I know... Andalusia has, as of, I think it was Thursday night of last week, introduced further restrictions um, that prevented people from traveling outside of that area unless they were traveling for work or they had a very specific reason that gave them, uh, you know, a genuine requirement. So we were all quizzed and I had to show documentation that showed that I'm coming here to Las Palmas to work um, and we're here, I'm going to be filming on Friday and Saturday. So, you know, I had to show that. And likewise, okay. when I traveled, when I traveled backwards from Seville down to Malaga, um, when I checked into the hotel in Malaga for the conference I was at on Monday morning, I had to show documentation that proved I was invited to the conference. I was here for that specific reason, um, as in I was traveling for work. So you know, it's, there's a lot of paperwork involved these days. Yeah, and and what yeah, but the, the shutdown in the uh, we, we, we went, we went, Go we went, we went yes. delayed again. Sorry. Um, what are the conferences like that you've been attending? They're interesting, actually. So I was at two conferences. One was Thursday, Friday of last week, and it was a cruise and tech conference in Seville mm-hmm. um, with seven different cruise ports along the Mediterranean coast here uh, in the south of Spain. Um, and then the other was uh, ICA, which is a Congress and Convention uh, uh, Congress. So um, that was, you know, both were a little bit different, but both were hybrid. So hybrid has become the norm. So there were people on stage, um, but there were also people on video conference as well. So they, they even had panels where you had a panel of four where two were on stage and two were on the screen. Hmm. Um, and it worked, it worked quite well. It was interesting, um, mainly because there are people who are unable to travel. 
So at the Seville conference, um, there were very few international people. I was one of those few people. At the ICA conference in Malaga, there were quite a few international people. So at dinner last night, I was sitting with some German, some Swiss, some Austrian. Um, there were some Belgian people there. I mean, primarily European, um, but there was a, an, an interesting mix. And the other thing about the, the second conference, the ICA conference, um, was obviously it's, it's you know, a conference for the mice industry. So these are people who organize conferences and events. So right. if they can't run a conference in today's world, who can? <laughs> yes. um, so because obviously the international um, uh, conferences and congresses association. And um, so what they did was interesting is that they were supposed to have their global conference um, in Kaoching. And because they couldn't do it, they set up hubs. So they had a hub in Luxembourg, they had a hub in Riyadh, they had a hub in Cape Town, and I was at the Malaga hub. So they, people traveled to the nearest hub that they could travel to. So you had some sense of a conference. And then there was also the hybrid element. So it was almost a tripart conference where you had hubs all communicating with each other. So imagine the audiovisual setup. It was pretty interesting to see, yeah. you know, have video live to a hub, um, have different speakers in different hubs speaking at the same time um, or interacting at the same time. So, but definitely, you know, speaking to the delegates who are all conference organizers, either buyers or professional conference organizers, PCOs, um, you know, they were all delighted to be actually at a real life conference and you know yes there were technical hiccups here and there but I think everybody had the right approach which was you know let's try this and right. let's try and make it work um, and for the most part those two conferences I attended definitely both did work and were successful and from my perspective definitely worth attending. Good, good. It was very interesting your choice of hubs for Riyadh in Saudi Arabia because it yeah. hasn't typically been very welcoming to tourists at all. I know they've opened up their visas for tourists or are in the process of doing so. But uh, this was in Taiwan, Kaohsiung. Yeah, so... Because the time so difference is also substantial, right? Yeah, well, in terms of Riyadh, I mean, Riyadh, I mean, this is a MICE conference. So this is about meetings and events. Um, so it's a okay. little bit different in terms of, you know, leisure tourism, let's say. Right. Um, but these were all these were all hubs in terms of just a, a singular, I suppose, geographical location that lots of different people could get to. So it's not specifically okay. about Saudi. It's about, you know, that's a, a hub yeah. that others can yeah. do. Um, yeah. So, for example, yeah, that's good. you know, the. There were a lot of Spanish, French, and Portuguese at the Malaga event because obviously, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Malaga is easy to get to from those countries. So, you know, that's why the hub system worked quite well in terms of it, it allowed people to still travel because obviously traveling from Asia to Europe at the moment is difficult and vice versa. And likewise, traveling from Europe to North America is very difficult at the moment. Um, so having, you know, those broad geographical hubs worked really, really well. Mm. That's good. Uh, so given that you work with, shifting gears a little bit, given that you work with Bradley in Connecticut, what estimate do you have, if any, when travel will sort of start to resemble what it has been, let's say, in 2019? You have any sort of feel for that? <laughs> um, 
That's an impossible question. <laughs> He's putting on his spot, Michael. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it's, this doesn't just apply to, apply to Bradley. It apply, applies right. to no. you know, yeah. lots of different places. Um, Bradley's uh, typically a low-cost carrier hub for European, L, European LCCs. No, Norwegian no. used to fly there. They did, yes, that's correct. Um, I mean, the only oh. international flight, if you exclude Mexico and Canada, um, would be the Dublin flight. So that's an Aer Lingus mm -hmm. flight from Dublin direct. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And that's an A321neo long range that Aer Lingus used to service that airport. Um, and then it's a very good hub for you know all of North America, from Canada all the way through the US, East Coast, mm -hmm. West Coast, you name it, and obviously, um, down into Florida and into Mexico. Yeah. But um, what's, I mean, over the last number of months, you know, first people were saying it was going to be, you know, some people just hoped that next year would be, you know, back to normal. But obviously, we all know that's not going to happen. Right. Then it was 2022, 23. I'm now starting to hear some experts, you know, and these are CEOs of big companies saying, you know, 2024. Mm. Um, so personally, I think travel has changed forever. I don't think it's going to ever be the same. Um, I don't mean that in a negative way that we've lost something. I just mean it's changed. So in the same way that yeah. post 9-11, I think we're all probably old enough to remember, you know, flying pre and post 9-11, that, you know, now you have to take your shoes off and you have to, you know, you can't bring liquids. Um, I think it's just, it's going to be that change. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's happened already. If I look at the flight today, you know, uh, it was for everybody on the flight. It was a normal flight. You know, it was just, you know, everybody is now used to the new, you know, um, health and safety announcements. They're used to, you know, having to wear a mask the whole time. They're used to a different style of um, uh, boarding and disembarkation and, you know, sanitization and so on. And that's for me, because I've traveled so much, it's become the norm. But I remember the first flight I took, which was the first post-COVID that is, or oh, the lockdown, the first lockdown was an Aer Lingus flight from Paris to Dublin. And it was Aer Lingus's first flight back on that route. And, you know, everybody was a bit nervous. People were talking in the lounge or in the, the, the boarding area before. Whereas now, you know, everybody just gets on with life and it's completely normal. Um, so I think we've already adjusted to the new norm of flying. So it'll never be the same. But in terms of numbers, you know, that's where we see things being pushed back to 23, 24. Okay. One, one trend I am seeing from different clients is that, you know, because of the complexity of flying, um, and I don't think it's too onerous, but for some people it is, um, those that are flying are flying kind of long haul for a good reason and they're staying there and they can afford to fly. So I think you're seeing on a lot of routes front of the aircraft is busier than the back of the aircraft. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you take a family of four or six who have to take all have to take tests, you know, um, before flying and then when on arrival, you know, that can be quite significant. It can add up to a few hundred or even a thousand, yeah. you know. Um, so I think there are a lot more protocols. Um, certainly in Europe, what I'm also seeing is that Villa product is much more popular. Um, you know, luxury hotels that have, you know, bungalows or villas on the grounds they're selling out before the hotel is because people want more space ah, so there, okay. there are different trends happening um 
but maybe short haul around Europe, which is what I've been doing a lot of recently, um, you know, different routes. I mean, you asked initially at the start of this section of our conversation is, am I seeing aircraft busy and, and I, am I seeing them empty? I've flown some routes where I've seen 15 people on the aircraft. Wow, okay. um, and I've seen, I've done quite a few flights with the, those kind of numbers. Yeah. But I've also done some busy flights. I flew from Schiphol, Amsterdam to Madrid, an Iberia service, you know, and there, were, there must have been close to 200 on that flight. Mm-hmm. Flight today, 70%, you know, load factor. But I've flown one or two other flights with, you know, um, much lower numbers. One, yeah. one trend I am seeing is that, um, you know, to get from A to B has become harder because mm-hmm. all the airlines have reduced capacity. Um, so yeah. therefore, you know, it's not as easy to get around. So yeah. I need last Wednesday, which is about this time last week, I flew from Dublin to Seville and I had to go because I needed to, you know, I'd just come back from Barbados and I was, you know, I needed two, three days on the ground to kind of catch up. And then I had to fly Wednesday to make a conference that was starting Thursday. There is now only a once a week service from Dublin to Seville, whereas that obviously was previously much bigger frequency. So I had to go and actually normally I would have said, okay, I'll fly to, to Madrid and then connect. But even the Madrid service didn't work because the connecting flight wasn't good. So I ended up having to fly Dublin, London, Heathrow, Heathrow, Madrid, and then take the train from Madrid down to Seville. Okay. Um, it's a good thing you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it kind of takes you back to some, some early days of traveling, even the interrailing days where you really do have to figure things out. Um, mm-hmm. And even at the dinner last night, we were discussing, you know, to all the delegates at the MICE event, ICA, we were discussing how, how are you getting home, you know? And there was a German guy going back to Geneva and he had to take three connections to get back to from Malaga to Geneva, mm-hmm. which, you know, shouldn't have been that difficult. So that is the new norm. Um, it is, there is less capacity and especially over this winter season. Um, Ryanair have been good in terms of maintaining capacity. They haven't cut capacity. Um, it's a matter of principle for them, but also they have a lot of pilots they need to keep in the sky and they need to keep their hours. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason the airlines are flying with, you know, ridiculously low uh, loads. You know, they're not making money. They're definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not trying to make money. They're just, you know, trying to keep the aircraft in the sky. Because as you know, Kerwin, if you put an aircraft in the ground, you have to mothball it. That takes time, money, energy and effort. And when you bring yeah. it back out of service, you have to do the same. So, you know, there's an opportunity cost between keeping an aircraft in the sky and also keeping the crew, um, and specifically the pilots, keeping their hours up. Exactly. So there's a, there's, there is therefore a skeleton capacity in Europe that isn't going to disappear. And that, that was the case during the initial lockdown. Um, like Aer Lingus, for example, all the way through the initial lockdown, when, when so much was closed globally, continued to fly Dublin, Boston, Dublin, New York and Dublin, Chicago. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that will continue. There will be capacity. It's not going to get cut completely, but it does make travel a little bit harder. So if you're going hub to hub, you know, um, Dublin, London, or London, Paris, London, New York, London, New York, or London, Madrid, that's all going to be easy enough. Capacity will still be there. It's when you start to go to kind of more off the beaten track, um, which is what I've been doing at the moment. Another question I was curious about was, given how, uh, let's say, at this embarkation, when everybody stands up to get their checked-in baggage, have these have, in your experience, 
airlines being issuing some sort of statements or announcements or regulations that they're only going to allow passengers to disembark or get on board by row? Or is it a free yeah. for all? No, it's not. Um, every airline has you know different protocols and different rules okay. and guidelines, but across the board, you know, let's say I've flown 10 different carriers over the last few weeks. Um, ballpark, they would all follow a similar principle is that the boarding is in much smaller numbers. Okay. And uh, specifically, um, deplaning is um, by row number, and they would generally, um, let's say, disembark, you know, three or four rows at a time. And they make multiple announcements, you know, as you're coming into land and as you land, that everybody stays in a seat. You're not allowed to jump up and grab your bags from the overhead. You stay in your seat. And then, you know, when that row, those three rows ahead of you have, you know, got off, then you're told, you know, over the PA that you can then stand up. Now, still, there are people who jump up, you know, <laughs> there's a bit of ignorance out there. There's also a bit of cabot. Um yeah. But most people are adapting to this new norm and getting used to it. But yeah, it's not the same. And also, you know, simple stuff like, you know, you, could, you need to go to the bathroom. You can't queue in the aisles. You have to wait until you see an opportunity to go and there's nobody else queuing. Um, a lot of aircraft have reduced or airlines rather have reduced their service. So, you know, there's Ryanair, a fairly decent service in terms of, you know, um, snacks, teas, coffees and, and drinks. Uh, actually, if I think about it, I don't think they do teas and coffees, but you can, you know, get soft drinks or water plus, you know, sandwiches or crisps or chocolate. Mm-hmm. Whereas Aer Lingus stopped all service. You can ask for water, but that's it uh, oh. on the short haul, that is. So there are different, there are little variations. Um, uh, where we see KLM, we're giving out snacks, um, but it's all much more controlled. It's like, you know, everything's wrapped. I've never seen so much plastic in my life, you know, there's <laughs> and hotels, and that's a I'm in a hotel at the moment. There's a, that's a whole other conversation in terms of, you know, the amount of plastic and packaging. And, you know, I was in a hotel in, I stayed in two different hotels in Seville, actually. One was the conference hotel, and then I stayed on for the weekend. Um, and the second hotel I stayed at, you had to get your temperature checked when you went in for breakfast. Then you were given plastic gloves that you had to wear the whole time. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at that, but, you know, and then, you know, even the apples were wrapped, everything was wrapped, you know, um, which I kind of think is ridiculous. Um, we seem to have forgotten about the planet a bit, but um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of plastic being used these days. Yeah, it's weird. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, th- 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 um, I was also very interested to hear that, go ahead, Cohen. Oh, no, no, monopolizing it's... questions, go ahead. No, it's okay, we, we have a lag. So when I say something, you don't hear it for like a few seconds. So go right ahead, Kusha. Um, you had mentioned that um, your on your fl- most of your flights the premium cabins were full, and I would have thought the other way that uh, you know given the popularity of Zoom and really limited necessity to travel when you can have <laughs> meetings online, that premium heavy airlines like for instance BA um, or let's say Lufthansa. Um, would really be suffering in the future, you know, with be less business travel, because that's where the airlines make their money. There is, so, well, first of all, I, I don't know where you got the idea that Zoom is popular. Um, it's certainly used a lot. <laughs> I don't know if people yeah. are 
big fans um and um you'd you love know, it or hate it yeah for your i can't wait till it's all over um <laughs> but you're right business travel um is greatly reduced you know there's all sorts of you know duty of care and legal issues with you know companies sending staff traveling um so there's definitely less business travel but what i'm seeing is or it's a trend that i'm seeing across the board not just on the flights i've taken is that business travel or sorry front of the cabin is busier on long haul versus short haul um mm. so take take barbados for example you know the front, the front of the plane is 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 busy, um, and it makes sense for lots of different reasons. People want more space; they feel safer in a you know in a more spacious environment. Um, so I think you know business travel has been reduced, but it's more luxury leisure travel actually. Um, people who can afford to travel and um, can afford to that's travel right. for longer. Um, that's that's what I'm seeing at the moment, or certainly a, a trend. Um, but when it comes to corporate, it's interesting. I've been traveling with quite a lot of media recently. Um, and what we're seeing on the media side is that big media organizations like publishing houses, newspapers, magazines are not, most of them are not allowing staff travel because of, you know, duty of care and, and insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, insurance is a whole other conversation we could discuss. But um, so we're, I'm traveling a lot more with freelancers because they have the flexibility. So it's opened a, an opportunity for freelancers um, to travel. Now, it's not exclusively the case, but definitely it's a trend. There are more and more freelancers traveling because they have the flexibility, whereas full-time staffers in big media houses are just not being allowed to travel for you know, uh, insurance, health, and duty of care reasons. Hmm. That's a good insight, Michael. Yeah. I didn't really think about it that way. It's a good thing we had yeah. in life. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's... There's so many little insights and in, in, there's so many idiosyncrasies that you spot every day. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, that's why I say the world has changed and probably changed forever in many respects um, because freelancers are a bit more, you know, innovative in terms of they have to be, that's the nature of being a freelancer. You know, um, I mean, a, a blogger is very similar. You know, you make mm-hmm. your own income, you make your own life, you make your own decisions. Um so, you know, they have the ability to innovate and adapt and pivot and, and so on. Whereas what I'm seeing, you know, open up LinkedIn you know, every day. And what I see is, you know, friends in the travel industry, be they on the media side or on the trade side, you know, moving jobs because there are thousands of jobs that are just disappearing. Um, right. So, you know, it's the, you know, they're therefore freelancers have the opportunity to to stick with the industry because they have the ability to adapt whereas you know if you work for a big company that and they decide they need to get rid of 20 percent or 50 percent of people if you're a part of that cut you know sometimes you have no choice doesn't matter how good you are or were you know it's just a financial decision um Mm. so that's that's certainly been interesting and if you look at for example the welcome stamp in barbados you know those are people who are flexible, who are, you know, digital, and they can, you know, move and adapt. Um, and the reason I'm here in the Canary Islands in Grand Canaria is that Thursday or Friday and Saturday this week, um, I'm filming at two houses with nomads. So uh, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, Kerwin, but Wi-Fi tribes. No, uh, it's a community of, you know, of backpackers. Well, not backpackers, more like, you know, freelancers, bloggers, um, 
contractors, people who can work from anywhere in the world, not necessarily travel related, not necessarily travel bloggers, but people who can work anywhere. And Wi-Fi Tribes is a community um, and they have two houses here uh, in Gran Canaria. And, you know, we're there to meet, to film, to interview for the tourist board to produce, you know, uh, supplementary content to help promote that concept. So the Canarians has become a place where people are, you know, happy to move because, you know, good quality of life, good weather, good food, good wine, um, relatively speaking, low cost of living. You know, you're off the coast of North Africa, so you're a long way from from Europe. Um, and that's why we're here to, to to film this, you know. So it's it just shows those who are, in my mind anyway, flexible or have the ability to be flexible, more nomadic, um, contractors, self-employed freelancers, you know, it's an interesting time for that community. And I, and I suppose I'd, I'd include myself in that in, in terms yeah. of, you know, I run a small company, we're a small team, and we've been able to be very flexible throughout this whole pandemic. We've, you know, we've won business, but we've lost business. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for that insight. Kusha, did you, we're, we're up in about I, an, an hour. Do you have any more okay. questions for Michael? I have a load, loads of questions, but I have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> but I mean, I, I have time. Let's go for one more, maybe. Okay, go ahead. Um, in terms of your hotel, um, do you notice anything different from a normal stay? If you can even remember what that that is, like in terms of their cleanliness and all that sort of thing. I'm looking around here. It's easier to get an upgrade, Kerwin. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, got, I think I've got a junior suite here and I booked the cheapest room at this hotel. Um, wow. Now the client is obviously covering my costs because they've asked me to be here, but I booked it myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm part of the, the loyalty program for this hotel chain. Good. But yeah, it wasn't expensive. So hotels are cheap at the moment. Um, when I checked in, um, I got a, a full upgrade to, you know, a suite. So, you know, two full rooms. Um, Is it all touchless and contactless? And this? No, no. Um, Just Grand Canaria. <laughs> well, but I mean... This this is a Marriott hotel, so you know it, it follows all the Marriott standards. Okay. You know? um, but there's a lot of hotels who are just haven't got to that stage yet, you know. Mm. Um, but you definitely notice, you know, there's more protection in terms of, you know, the door has a seal on it, um, you know, the toilet has a seal on it, the taps have a seal, you know. Um, there's, there's loads of suppose, touch points where they, the hotel, and this is across the board for multiple hotels, are trying to show the customer that, you know, it is clean. Um, mm. You see more of it down at reception when you kind of, you know, go to check in. It's like, you know, some hotels you have to get your temperature checked. This one I didn't. Um, you know, you wipe okay. your feet on a disinfectant map, mat. Um, you sanitize your hands. Uh, all the staff are now behind screens. So when you go to check in, that's completely the norm with staff behind screens. Oh, okay. um, there's no kind of, you know, when you sign at registration, you know, you get given a pen, but then you put it straight into a disposable kind of basket <laughs> or a pod. Um, I was in Tenerife a few months ago and was checking out, and I had to put my key card into kind of a soluble solution and you know like a little fishbowl yeah um so you see all sorts of wacky things now um it's it's you know it's a, it's a little different but again i've just become used to it 
And yeah. the big trend is that a lot of hotels are pretty empty. Um, you know, apart from check-in, I haven't seen anyone else in this hotel. Um, I've been working okay. here this afternoon, catching up on emails and stuff. Yeah. But going to go for a run now and then go for dinner. And will there be anyone else at dinner? Probably not. Um, yeah, interesting. I know, yeah, I don't even a... want to think about the plastic waste we're creating. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It is, it is crazy. Uh, well, um, Michael, that's, that's I've, thank you. <laughs> for, for yes, thank you was, for taking the time to talk to word, us. Yeah. Um, sure, never, pleasure, and likewise, Gerwin. Yeah, yeah, no, this is really good. So, uh, well, I guess before you go, um, so where are you off to after this, after this adventure? Well, like everything else, you can't book too far ahead at the moment. Right. Um, that's definitely a trend. And just in terms of trying to operate from a business perspective, there's no planning, you know, three or four days. Like some people who were at the conference with me this week said that they confirmed their attendance only on the Friday. And that's for a Monday right. conference. Okay. Um, I, only, I only confirmed my attendance for the Monday conference um, when I was in Seville on the Friday as well. So at the moment, I booked a one-way flight here to Gran Canaria. I've just arrived. The earliest I'll possibly leave is Sunday, but I haven't booked anything um, because everything and anything could change in the meantime. Right. So, you know, it's, I, I hope to go back to Dublin for a few days, um, but I do get a sense that everything is starting to slow completely now. Now that we're into November, I don't think there'll be many more conferences and events. Right. I didn't think I would be bit this busy right now. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, at the moment, I don't have anything booked. So, you know, um, okay. I could end up anywhere. I'll keep you posted, Kerman. Well, good. You know, I'll, I'll keep looking out for you. Um, well, folks, um, thank you so much for being here, Michael. Uh, from travelmedia.ie and, uh, and Michael, where can they find you online, uh, social and all that? So um, two types of handles I use, travelmedia.ie for Twitter, for Facebook, for LinkedIn, for all the company profiles um, or Michael Collins Travel is generally my handle on Facebook and other uh, social media channels. So either search me Michael Collins Travel or travelmedia.ie and you'll find me across you know everything from LinkedIn to uh, Instagram to Facebook to YouTube, um, you name it. Okay, very good. All right, Michael, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Pleasure, guys. Good to talk to you, Kerwin. Good to see you again. It's been a while. Send me. It has been a while. All right. Thank you.